everybody. Welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. My name is Jeff. I am one of your co-hosts. And joining us, coming out of the bullpen from Tacoma, Washington, it's Mark A. Johnston. Hey, man, what's going on, Jeff? This is uh, this is warm weather up here, and I'm, I'm kind of tired of it, to be honest with you. That's why I live up here. I'm not into the warm weather. So you can't hear me, hear the music I'm playing again this week, can you? No. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> I'm playing uh, I'm playing Edwin uh, Diaz's uh, oh. trumpet song. <laughs> I was introducing you. Oh, it's <laughs> So <laughs> I guess that, that, that whole gimmick is not going to work. Yeah, well, uh, your team's doing okay. Yeah. I hear... And I want I want just want listeners to be aware. I hear that you rode in an elevator with Ken Griffey Jr. this weekend. The, the rumor the rumor is true. I did. I, I actually introduced myself and shook his hand. He's his hands. I have little tiny like Girl Scout hands, and he has these big bat swinging hands, you know. And, and it's kind of enveloped my little paw, and uh, said, "Nice to meet you." And I was like, "I'm happy. I'm good." I just met Ken Griffey Jr. I'm good. So, listeners, if you want to know why Ken Griffey Jr. is not on the show this week, thanks, Mark. Yeah, I, I was un, I was uh, unsuccessful at landing him for the show. Usually, I propose that first thing when I meet somebody, and not just baseball <laughs> players either. <laughs> the plumber comes over. Hey, do you want to be on a baseball street podcast? <laughs> I like the interviews. What can I say? All right. Well, let's uh, let's get into our BP segment before we get too much uh, further, because we, we're going to make sure we're we're all ready to go here for this week's show. Mark, I got a big boss update for you from okay. uh, from Japan. The ham fighters are uh, they're, they're awful. They're bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's unfortunate. Uh, I'm I'm beginning to wonder if maybe you know flying around on a hover bike to start the season has maybe cursed them. You know, uh, I think that's one of the unwritten rules that we went over, wasn't it? No hover bikes. Yeah, I think that I think that's probably the the number one unwritten rule. They're currently forty five sixty nine and three, Oy. and easily have the worst record in the NPB. There's a big clump of teams that have like fifty five wins, but the the fighters are so far out. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and for a team that's opening a new stadium next season. This is not the way you want to go into opening a new new venue is being this bad. The the best way to open a new venue is not by being crummy. This is a good point. Yeah, you don't want you don't really want that number one draft pick when you're going into a new building. They they even named a street outside of this new stadium like Big Boss Way or Big Boss. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so wow. I don't even know who's going to be around next year. But we'll see. Well, you know what? It's one of those things where you, you you might get charisma and you might get a good leader. And you, and sometimes you just don't get anything. Who knows? Well, he's got charisma. I don't know about oh, the yeah. leadership. And I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they're tanking. I don't maybe. I don't know. But they're not good. So big, <laughs> big boss, turn it around. Yeah. All right. Uh, the Mets are retiring a number. Of course, they just retired Keith Hernandez a little while ago, this like a couple of weeks ago, they're now, they just announced that they're retiring number 24 for Willie Mays. He will join Casey Stengel, Gil Hodges, Tom Seaver, Mike Piazza, Jerry Kuzman, and the aforementioned Keith Hernandez to be the only Mets to have their number retired. 
I thought that did they, I guess they didn't retire Nolan Ryan. He's one of the rare teams that they didn't retire Nolan Ryan's number. You know, after the 69 year, I think that's he went by 1970. He was with the Angels already. Well, I mean, Mays only played for the Mets for a season and a half <laughs> at age 41 and 42 for a total of 135 games. Right. So, but he's Willie Mays. Well, yeah, I get it. Yeah, he's Willie Mays. But I'm not buying this. So obviously he played for the New York Giants, which became the San Francisco Giants. But he moved with the franchise like he played all those years with the franchise. He played 21 seasons for right. the Giants. I don't know. I <laughs> I don't know if this warrants a a, re, a retiring of the numbers. I I love the Mets. I love how they got their colors, you know, in a tribute to Giants and Dodgers who had left New York and left their fans. But this one just seems odd to me. Like I don't know if they're trying to catch up with the Yankees in terms of numbers retired. It, it is a little weird, you know. But uh, you know, if if it gets people in the stadium, I guess. Oh, by the way, uh, Nolan Ryan. With the Angels by 1972, not 1970. Yeah, so he was there longer than Willie Mays was. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> but I mean, so, uh, according to this logic, should the Mariners retire number 35 for Ricky Henderson? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I'm curious to know what other what other people think. Is this is this cool? I mean, obviously it's cool. It's Willie Mays again. Obviously, I, we both love Willie Mays, but to retire his number. It, it, as a as a Met is kind of weird, but let us know, you know, get it, let us know if, if this is a, a weird one or, or if this is a good idea. I don't know. Uh, so they did this on on Old Timers Day at City Field last Saturday. A lot of great names from the past came out, including our former guest Bobby Valentine was there. Nice. Or should I say Roberto Valentino was there Ooh. when uh, when they introduced him, he wore sunglasses and the mustache. <laughs> which was a nice. <laughs> That's great. That's a good little little uh, gimmick there. Uh, we got a, a c- comment here from a listener. They just go by by FC, so I'm guessing this might be Fisk Carlton or, or Finley, comma Chuck. I don't know. We're yeah. We're using the Asian naming convention where you say the last name first. I'm guessing. They pointed out that Lars Newtbar is indeed not the only Lars to play in Major League Baseball. Oh my. Lars Anderson played for the Blue Jays in, ah. the, in the 2010s, 30 games over three seasons. I, I can see how, how I missed him, but I, I did miss him. He was, he was buried in the, the BR results as, as one of <laughs> only two Lars. To, yes. But, but still, I'm confident there's only been one Newt Bar. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure on that one, too. Yeah. I, I, I don't remember. Uh, not only has there been no only one Newt Bar, I don't think there's been any candy bar sounding names uh, that I'm familiar with Tony Kit Kat or Bobby Twix. Well, you, you know, know somebody's like going to say Babe Ruth and baby Ruth. I mean, somebody's well, even though it's not named after him, somebody's clearly. And and there's the, there's the, the Reggie bar. There's the Griffey yeah. and the Gwen bars. I've, I'm going to call you out on this one. I'm talking about mainstream pal. <laughs> Reggie bar was a big thing. I, I remember eating Reggie bars, man. I kind of liked them. What about Steve? Whatchamacallit? Again. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Roger Take Five. Uh, there's plenty of them. What out about there. Pokey okay. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups? Ooh, not bad. Yeah. Not bad. Yeah. I'm pulling that one out. All right. Yeah. Uh, I got a fantasy camp prep update for you. You ready? 
All right, Lay it so on me. I've taken probably about a thousand cuts in my backyard now over the last couple of uh, of weeks. Haven't missed a single one. Very nice. My, my contact rate pretty high. I feel like my swing's okay. A word around my backyard, and this is just what others are saying. This is this is from around my backyard. Comparing my swing, it's it's being called uh, similar to a right-handed Will Clark. Oh wow! Yeah. Again, this mm-hmm. is this is not me. This is what's being said in my backyard. Right. So. This is the creatures and critters yeah, the and dogs, earthworms. The, yeah, yeah. The, the birds. Yeah. But I mean, you got to let them have their opinion. Lefties, of course, always have a pretty swing for some reason. I'm still trying to figure that out. Yeah. And, and I was thinking about this today when I was back there taking some swings. Who is the prettiest right-handed swing? Ooh, that's a good question. Again, I'm not exactly sure why. Maybe right-handed swings look better when they're coming off of a left-handed pitcher. I don't know. But I was thinking about it. For me, I think the best right-handed swing might be Frank Thomas. Yeah, he's got it. He did have a really, like, a smooth but real powerful swing, obviously. Yeah, and he had that Charlie Lau theory. Yep. You know, he'd, he'd, re, he'd do what I, I I guess my swing is kind of patterned after it. I release... You know, I release the, the the top hand. The top hand, yeah. As I, as I follow through. Uh, curious to know, listeners, let us know. Go, you know, email, social media, all that kind of stuff. Let us know who has the best right-handed swing. Curious, right? Because that, that's what I thought about while I was taking cuts today. <laughs> uh, let's see. This show is debuting on August 30th, and we have got some really interesting debuts that have happened today throughout the history of baseball. Not quite September call-up time yet. No, no, it's not. And it would just, <laughs> that's, that, that makes for quite a list to sort yeah, through. Yeah, no doubt. Let's see. Today in 1905, somebody named Ty Cobb made their debut. Now, I'm not familiar with this guy. Ty is his name? Uh, Tyrus Raymond Cobb. He's from, apparently from Georgia. He's the, actually, you know, it's funny because out of all the, you know, all the propaganda that, What's his name? It was Al Stump. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, he's Ty Cobb. Actually, the opposite of Cap Anson. <laughs> like Ty yeah. Cobb was a big proponent of black players and integration. Yeah, Ty Cobb. I'm reading actually right now. I'm reading the book uh, Terrible Beauty. You're absolutely right. He the, he was not this this caricature that he was made out to be in any capacity. Is is that like Robin Yunt, a caricature? Yes, it's a caricature. (laughs) A caricature. Let's just look at some. I mean, we talk about Ty Cobb all the time. Uh, Let's see. Ty still has the highest career batting average in baseball history. Obviously, that's kind of a kind of a big thing. 366 career batting average is still very, very impressive. Yeah, that's uh, by any measurement, that's going to be solid. Yeah, I mean, batting average, we say not as important. But it's still a very important category. It just doesn't tell you the whole story. Also has the most batting titles in baseball history with 12, including the most consecutive batting titles. He won nine in a row at wow. one point. And of his 12 batting titles, he won them in 13 seasons. Wow. So in 1916, he only hit 370. Uh, that's like Tony Gwynn. That's, you know, not, not Ty Cobb. Yeah, that's, that's pretty impressive. Also has the most hits in a career for an American leaguer. Of course, 
Pete Rose with the the all time record, but Ty finished with four thousand one hundred and eighty nine. And when Ty retired, he had set ninety major league baseball records during his <laughs> career, which itself is probably a record. That's so ninety one. So yeah, ninety one. Uh, records. Uh, Ty did very well for himself financially. He made early investments in Coca-Cola and General Motors. And Cobb's estate was reported to be worth at least $11.5 million when he passed away. That's equivalent to $107 million today. Not bad. Yeah, including $10 million worth of the aforementioned General Motors and a little under $2 million of Coke. A good deal of this money has been given out. And again, this is not what people think of when they think of Ty Cobb. A good deal of this money has been given out in the form of scholarships. As of 2021, the Ty Cobb Educational Foundation had distributed $19.2 million in college scholarships for needy Georgians. Wow, that's awesome. That is, uh, that's very cool. Uh, Ty Cobb made his debut 1905 today. Also making his debut in 1912 was Ray Chapman. Ray Chapman, the only player to have ever died uh, directly oh, from yeah. playing baseball after he was hit in the ear by a Carl Mays pitch in 1920. He managed to get up and walk off the field despite bleeding from his ear, but he died several hours later. Oh, God. The circumstances how Ray was hit in the ear by the pitch was because at this point, umpires just kept balls in play until they they weren't balls anymore and of right. course spitballs completely legal so balls at this point get really dark really quick because you get tobacco and licorice and motor oil and all <laughs> sorts of stuff and they just get dirty as it gets later in the day the ball gets harder and harder to see so this was at the polo grounds accounts of this say that ray chapman never saw the ball because it came right towards his head and he never moved Ooh, yeah. The noise it made was it's it, it was described as disgusting. Uh, Carl Mays fielded the ball because he thought that Chapman had hit it from the sound and it came Ugh. back to him. He picked it up and threw it to first. Meanwhile, the umpire is is motioning for for help because he can see that Chapman's bleeding out of his ear. The following year, Major League Baseball established the rule to replace any ball that became dirty or damaged, and it also led to the end of spitballs being a legal pitch. Interesting. So Chapman holds the record for the most sacrifice bunts in a season. Can you guess what the record for most sack bunts is in one year? 21. <laughs> Try 67. <laughs> Wow, that's a it's a different game these days. Yeah, so. it is. But I mean, what? There's a team player for you right there. Well, wow, no doubt. Also, one of the few players whom Ty Cobb just mentioned, professional podcaster, considered a friend. Wow. Yes. Uh, Very nice. Yeah. So Ray Chapman, in this article I was reading, said that he was considered one of the best shortstops of the day. So I'm looking at his numbers here. <laughs> Over nine seasons, he committed 336 errors at shortstop. Wow. Wow. That's a, that's a <laughs> lot of errors. That is a 939 fielding percentage. There Oof. are totals in here of 48, 50, 59, 49. But, you know, obviously a different game, different equipment, different balls, different, you know, it's a different game, but... <laughs> Final, that's amazing. Yeah, I know. That's, that's something. Uh, he almost had as many uh, errors as he did sacrifice bunts. 
<laughs> yes. He he committed three hundred and overall three hundred and fifty-eight errors total in his career. He had three hundred and thirty-four sacrifice punts. Wow. You know what? We all talk about like 2020 20, 30, 30 players. Here's a 300, 300. <laughs> yeah. Here is a sacrifice. But I guarantee you nobody has the equivalent of that. No way. No. Uh, final debut for today, August 30th in 1974. Again, I've mentioned him already. Why? Because that's the way you do it when you're podcasting like this. Keith Hernandez made his debut in 1974 for the St. Louis Cardinals. First Mets team captain in franchise history. I didn't know that. Mm. There's not much more to say about Keith that we haven't said like a million times. He's a show favorite. One of my favorite people, just period minus, is politics, which I am in complete 180 from where he goes. But I loved him as a player. I love him as an announcer. I love him as Elaine Bennis' boyfriend. Mm -hmm. Uh, I loved him and Walt Frazier pushing just for men. Uh, I loved <laughs> him trying to teach Mr. Snuffleupagus how to play baseball. He's more of a catcher. He's like more of a defensive catcher, I think, than a, probably a batter. Right. And he, he can't really fit the glove anywhere. He'd need a special made one. Yeah. And plus, most people can't see him. So That's true. I feel like Big Bird needs to be on the mound. Otherwise, it's not going to work. Uh, I also love that uh, he gives a, a whole bunch of updates on his cat, Haji. Nice. <laughs> because of course he's been divorced many times so he lives alone with his his cat although i think he has plenty of visitors wink wink uh let's see he uh, had his number retired as i mentioned just a, a couple weeks ago and i think he's going to get into the hall of fame i think he's going to get in via a veterans committee vote sometime in the near future and i'm all for it Nice. All right. So that's going to do it for our BP segment for this week. We're going to let the grounds crew come out and do their stuff. And we're going to get into the uh, the main part of the show here. And I'm going to talk about, Mark, I got a, a subject this week I want to talk about. I want to talk about the World Series before it was the World Series. We've kind of hinted at some of these things, especially in some of our earlier shows. And we said, oh, we should do a, we should do a whole show about that. And, you know, two and a half years later, here we are getting right. around to it. That's right. Major League Baseball officially lists the 1903 World Series as being the first World Series, where, of course, as we all know, the Boston Americans beat the Pittsburgh Pirates five games to three. The Bucks were doomed from the start because pitcher Sam Lever had injured his shoulder in a skeet shooting accident before the series. Boy, that used to be a big deal, wasn't it? The <laughs> skeet shooting accidents? I know. And it's I mean, you couldn't avoid skeet shooting either. Especially no, going I, into a World Series. It's like, yeah, well, you're just there. I'll do my, my side work and I'll get my skeet shooting in today. It's absolutely. Yeah, that was a big deal. Yeah. So that forced Deacon Phillip to he had to pitch five complete games in the series. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And I mean, Boston did have this guy Cy Young, too. So that didn't help. They were going up against a good American, a good American team. Full of Americans. Cy Young, who, oddly enough, never won the Cy Young Award. No, he didn't, and it's a highway robbery. There were some post-seasons uh, before this, though, where championships were determined by things that were called World Series, but they weren't. So the first in 1884, the National League and the American Association agreed to play a five-game championship series that they dubbed the World Series Championship. 
It was not always, though, a cut and dry best teams from both leagues play a best of five. In 1885, the St. Louis Browns and the Chicago White Sox squared off against each other. And in the second game, the Browns manager, the again aforementioned Cap Anson, I'm doing it on purpose because it's, it's like a flex. <laughs> Has to be. I'm doing it because I can. He pulled his team off the field after disagreeing with a call by an umpire. So apparently wasn't a reviewable play by replay. So he said, everybody off. Well, that's good sportsmanship. Well, both Anson and the uh, then White Sox manager, Charles Comiskey, agreed that the game wasn't going to count because they thought the, it wasn't being, the, the call wasn't fair. So wow. uh, even Charles Comiskey said, okay, yeah, this doesn't count. Well, the uh, White Sox owner, Albert Spalding, is like, hold up. Uh, if they're taking their players off, that means we win the game. I want that. So <laughs> the Browns forfeited the game and uh, nobody was happy about this on, on obviously on the, uh, the Browns side. So they just called the whole thing off. They're like, well, I'm going to take my ball and go home. What did they do with the ticker tape? They recycled put it in the tickers, it. probably. They recycled it, yeah. Uh, the American Association folded a couple of years after that. That was the that was the last thing that was called the World Series before the aforementioned one in 1903. But in the interim, there were other contests to determine who had the best team. First, there was the Duvray Cup, which was named, of course, after uh, actress Helen Duvray. Of course. She was the star of such stage productions as The Whirlwind, that sister of his, and of course, who could forget her role in One of Our Girls? Oh my goodness, she was one of the best of One of Our Girls. We're still, well, we're still talking about it, so That's right. she obviously was fantastic. This was played from 1887 to 1893. You can think of this as the Stanley Cup, but for baseball. Uh, it, this, this cup would be passed from team to team each year. Helen DeVray presented the cup initially while she was uh, dating her future husband and future Hall of Famer Giants shortstop John Montgomery Ward. The cup was described as, quote, a $500 silver cup in the form of a true lover's cup, about 12 inches high. It's give or take an inch or two. They weren't exactly sure. Around there. Yeah. And, and we don't want to be too specific, but it's around that high you know, whatever a normal true lover's cup is, is like. Yeah. I, I don't have any lying around or I would go, go get an example, but I, yeah. Yeah. True lover's Under all cup. They're all in the laundry or something. <laughs> well, regardless, uh, this really was, like I said, like the Stanley cup players would get it for an amount of time during the off season if they want it. And they just hang out with it. Presumably <laughs> not doing cannonballs into pools or, eating hot dogs out of it or throwing it from moving boats like they do the actual Stanley Cup now. But it drew a crowd still wherever it went. I mean, if you've got a chance to see a true lover's cup that's somewhere around a foot tall, you're not going to not look at it, right? That's a good point. Yeah. So it was a thing. Uh, the cup was last won in uh, 1893 by the Boston Bean Eaters, who had won it the previous two seasons as well. This back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back win now posed a problem, though, because the rule specifically stated that the Cup would permanently belong to the first team to win three years in a row. 
So the bean eaters are presumably now eating beans out of what is now officially their cup. They track down Helen DuVray again and say, hey, uh, the, the team won three times. We need another cup because the bean eaters, they're not giving it back. Well, DuVray at this point had divorced old John Montgomery Ward and thusly had lost all interest in baseball. So, so she told them to kick rocks. And just like that, the DuVray Cup disappeared forever. And, and I literally mean that because nobody knows where the DuVray Cup is anymore. It, you know what I think you have here? I think you have the next Indiana Jones. <laughs> and, and the DuVray Cup? That's right. Well, not the new one where he's hiding from nuclear blasts in refrigerators, but like the original ones, what, There's turn the of the century? Oh, well, see, that might be too late because the sporting news actually in like the 1930s tried to track it down and couldn't do it. Oh, so, yeah. Well, I mean, I yeah. it would just... I guess I'd, I'd take Indiana Jones tracking it down over the sporting news. Yeah, yeah he'd probably be more successful at it. I tell you what, it, it, boy, what a find that would be, though, huh? We know what it looks like. It's, <laughs> it's, about, about, it's about a foot tall, and it's, uh, you know, in, in the form of a true lover's cup. Right, a true one. None of those fake lover's no. cups. No. All right, so enter lumber baron William Chase Temple. I guess if he's a lumber baron, we might need to call him like Lord William Chase Temple. How do you become a baron of something? Oh, I don't know. That's unless you're red or something. I, maybe we call him Sir. I, I tried to track down what I should refer to him as, but I couldn't bring myself to really do that. So I'm just like, all right. So he was part owner of the pirates at this point, And he said, make me a cup approximately 30 inches tall. Again, not exactly 30 inches, approximately is what this article describes it as. Yeah, get somewhere near 30 inches, pal. Just ballpark it. Thus was born the Temple Cup. Now, this is what Indian, I mean, spoiler alert, we know where this one is today, but it's called the Temple Cup. This seems much more up his alley. Definitely. Do you think it might, oh, they probably stored it in the, in the Temple of Doom at some point, right? I, I imagine it had to have been there at some point. Or in the Temple of Doom was just any cup referred to as the, oh, it's a temple cup. <laughs> it was the most important cup in the temple. All right, so <laughs> a little bit <laughs> off the rails here. Now, yeah. at this point, the American Association had folded. They were gone. So the top two teams the National League would play for this. So the first year that teams played for the cup, it was the New York Giants and the Baltimore Orioles. The plan was that the winning team would get 65% of the winnings and the losing team would split 35%. But the Giants thought otherwise after winning it and they said, you know what, we, we're going to take a little bit more because we're, <laughs> we're the Giants. His Highness William Chase Temple was so disturbed by this lack of sportsmanship, he immediately sold his interest in the Pirates and i assuming... I couldn't, I now this is just a presumption, but I'm sure it's true, went on to woo Helen DuVray, both of whom had lost interest in baseball after their cups runneth over. Yeah, they, they had a mutual disdain, uh, interest there. in fact, yeah. for baseball. So the Orioles bottled that anger from this slight from the Giants, and they won two straight Temple Cups. 
And they actually appeared in all four Temple Cup series that took place. But after the fourth one, both fans and players decided, well, if the Orioles are going to keep playing for this thing, I, I, we have no interest in it. <laughs> we just don't care. Like the players <laughs> even didn't even care after a while. And interest <laughs> waned. Uh, 1897 was the last year the cup was played for. This one, however, was kept track of and today actually resides in the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. That's that's kind of awesome. It, also, it is of interest to note that in the rules of the Temple Cup, it did also say if the team won three times in a row, they got to keep the cup forever. <laughs> I thought Pat Riley invented the term three-peat. No, nope. maybe. No. Nope. Yeah. He got his rear end suit off. <laughs> by by, by Hel- the Helen Duvray estate, as well as uh, Your Honor, uh, what's his name, the the Chase guy. So enter the Chronicle Telegraph Cup. Now, if that doesn't roll off the the tongue, I don't know what does. There was no postseason series scheduled after the, after the Chase Temple Cup, the Temple Cup, whatever it was called, uh, went away. But uh, the Brooklyn Suburbans, they'd won the National League pennant. Uh, they beat the Pittsburgh Pirates, who came in second. But Pirates fans felt that even though they lost the pennant, they were still a better team. So the Pittsburgh Chronicle-Telegraph said, you know what? We'll give a silver cup to whoever wins a series between the Suburbans and the Bucks." Now, I was unable, and I, you do not seriously know how much I looked into this. I was unable to find the dimensions of this cup, but I I did find a picture. Okay. And I'd say it's around 16 inches-ish. As long as you're close. That's how they measured them back then. Yeah, I mean, it's like a a temple cup minus uh, a Duvray cup. So it's in that range. Despite the whole series being played in Pittsburgh, the Superbas easily dispatched the Bucks 3 to 1. The Pirates, they only committed 14 errors in the series, which I tend to believe might have led to their defeat. Could have had an, uh, some sort of a bearing on that, yeah. Yeah, when you commit 14 errors in in 4 games, you're generally not going to win a whole bunch. But that was it. That was the only time that the cup was played for because in 1901 and 1902 the Pirates won the National League pennant, and they didn't want to play a series to prove that they were better than the second <laughs> team. So they just didn't. They're like, no, I got I got golf and fishing. Uh, well, no, I guess this is the 1900s. They're like, my job in the slaughterhouse uh, starts right. on Monday. Don't have time. So <laughs> that was it. This cup, however, like I said, this one is still around, too, and is likewise housed in Cooperstown, New York. That leads us to the modern era of what we now know as the World Series. But uh, this is what led up to this. Now, I was a little disappointed because in some of our early shows, we referenced the Temple Cup a couple of times. Whenever we got our information, it said that the crowds were always rowdy and throwing things and there were brawls. I found nothing about any of that, which was part of why I wanted to talk about this. I wanted to talk about some rowdiness. But there you have it, the history of the World Series before the World Series. That uh, whole idea of, of winning three in a row and getting to keep it, though, man, where did that go? I think maybe they thought about it, but like the Yankees in the 20s, they're like, uh, oh, maybe yeah. we shouldn't do this anymore. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, the Blue Jays almost 
got a chance yeah. to in the nineties. They are almost. Well, I think after if a team wins it three years in a row, they should change it up. It's not the World Series. I mean, now they would just auction it out. To, it would end up being like the Taco Bell. That's right. Lover's <laughs> Cup or something. Of course. <laughs> oh, the Belgrande Lover's Cup or the Pizza go. Lover's. Yeah. Ah. Gosh, why does Major League Baseball not come to us? This is right. a cash cow right here. Hopefully they're listening. You know, I'm sure that they have somebody dedicated to listening to Two Strike Noise <laughs> just for ideas. Yeah. I'm sure there's an AI somewhere listening to us just picking oh, yeah. these ideas out. All right, that's going to do it for our main part of the show. Mark, let's head on into uh, Wax Packs Heroes, the final segment of the show. This is, uh, of course, uh, a lot of people's favorite segment, and I'm glad that people enjoy it. It's where uh, you and I, we essentially get some pieces of cardboard and we fling them at each other, and whoever has the fewest amount of paper cuts wins. But uh, this is the segment that we call Wax Packs Heroes. Jeff, that's not how it works. All right, Mark, we're going old school today. I got a couple of packs of, uh, let's see, these are 1990 Dawn Russ. We've been in the, the late 90s and early 2000s the last couple of weeks. So I wanted to go back to our roots. Some, some actual wax packs here. Looking at the scoreboard, Mark, I currently have a slim lead. It's, it's evaporated. I am up seven to six. Uh, if you are new here, let me explain the rules really quickly because apparently throwing them at each other uh, like throwing stars uh, is not how we play this game. I've been informed. It's news to me. But this is what we do. We take the uh, baseball reference war of the year of the cards we're looking at, in this case, 1990. We'll add those up. A couple of different things that you can add or subtract points by. Uh, anything on the player's face in the card. That means sunglasses. That means a mustache. Anything. Uh, if they've got some tobacco juice rolling down their chin, we'll count it. That is an extra tenth of a point of war. Some uh, other ways that you can get an extra tenth of a point of war is if you're wearing real stirrups and we can see white or gold sanitaries underneath them. Uh, if you've got sweatbands with your jersey number or caricature on it, that's an extra tenth. If you've played any of your final seasons in Seattle, that's an extra tenth of a point for each. If you are wearing a batting helmet with two flaps or no flaps... Or if you are batting without batting gloves, those are all ways you can earn an extra tenth of a point. Any awards you won that year, Rookie of the Year, Cy Young, MVP, All-Star, Gold Glove, those are all half a point of war. If there is a Hall of Famer in the picture, even if it is not the person whose card it is, you get a whole extra point of war. If there is a Ricky Henderson in any card, I get a five whole points of war. And if there is a Nolan Ryan, Mark gets five points of war. That could happen. This, this time. Yes. You might shot. get an Nolan Ryan card. Uh, if the player, though, is wearing two-in-one stirrups, though, we're going to minus uh, a tenth of a point of work because that's not cool. And, Mark, you and I are each going to pick a team. If uh, my team shows up, I'm going to get an extra half a point of war. If your team shows up, you're going to get extra half a point of war. So who are you picking this week? You know, I don't remember the last time I went with the Seattle Mariners. So I'm, I'm going to go with the Mariners. Uh, you're going to go with the Mariners. Uh, let's see. You know, the, the Bucks were were pretty prevalent in, in my story today. So I'm going to go with true, true. There you go. All right. So let's go ahead. We'll open these up. Let's see. There are 16 cards 
in each of these packs. So uh, we like to trim that down to 10. So uh, first of all, Mark, would you like the pack in my left hand or my right hand? I'm going to go with the right hand. All right. I'm going to have you go first. Uh, as usual, do you want to lose the top six or the bottom six? I want to lose the top six this time. All right. Let's see, we have got uh, Carl Yastrzemski puzzle pieces there. All right, so uh, right off the bat, you're losing a Diamond King. Uh, you're gonna lose Fruit Loops, Mickey Tettleton. You're gonna lose Mike Witt, Tom Hankey, Kurt Stilwell, Gary Reedus, and Dave Anderson. I can deal with that. Yeah, I think the I think the, the Tom Hankey is probably, and maybe the Mike Witt might be your. Yeah, Hankey probably had a few saves that year. All right, so uh, let's see. Your first card is going to be first baseman for the Reds. It is uh, Mercedes. It's Todd Benzinger. Todd Benzinger. No, that's not a different way I pronounce it. I just said that. <laughs> All right, let's see. Todd Eric Benzinger, nine years in the big leagues. Boy, he didn't really spend a, a long time anywhere. Three years with Cincinnati, three with the Giants. Two with Boston, and then one for the Royals and the Dodgers. In 1990, he did win a World Series ring this year, but we're not going to talk about it. Let's see. He hit 253 overall, five home runs, 46 RBI, and a 70 OPS plus, and that will equal a minus 1.6. Oh, ouch. Yeah, I have no idea. How do you get a minus 1.6? Was his defense really bad? Uh, let's see. Yes. What could it be? He committed six errors all year. He played ten games and left in '95 at first. I'm hmm. kind of I'm kind of at a loss here as to why it's that poor. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, that is uh, really interesting. Uh, he only walked 19 times. He struck out 69. His on base percentage was only 291. Uh, he stole three hmm. bases, got caught four times, but still, that's. That's really rough to be a minus 1.6. He does have real stirrups on, though, so it'll only be a minus 1.5. Oh, good. I feel a lot better now. Yeah, I think that might tie for the highest uh, minus that we've uh, we've ever had. Yeah, that, that, that hurts. Benzinger has a little bit of history. He had an RBI single in, I believe, 89 that ended Oral Hershiser's scoreless streak of 59 innings. Now, we talk about being professional podcasters. Yes. Despite the fact we've never made a red sign. Not a penny. Not, no. not, yeah. In fact, it literally costs us money to do this. Yes. Your next card is a right-hander for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Whoa. <laughs> it is Oral Hershiser. What? Oh, my goodness. That's crazy. Listen, they don't call us the best in the biz. No, uh, they don't. For uh, baseball history podcasts that drop every Tuesday for nothing. Oh, I, I chimed in early there. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Oral Leonard Hershiser, the Bulldog, the aforementioned Oral Hershiser. Uh, let's see, 18 years in the big leagues, 13 with the Dodgers, three with Cleveland, one apiece for the Mets and the Giants. In 1990, he was hurt. He only appeared in four games. He went one and one with a 4.26 ERA. So close. He could have just maybe had one more inning, scoreless inning in there. Uh, let's see, that equals an 88 ERA plus. And uh, that will equal a war of zero. Nothing. Because I just don't think he played enough. So much better than my previous guy, though. Yeah, he does have real stirrups, though. Because we're, these guys know what's up. Yeah. They're, they're, they're wearing the real stirrups. Uh, boy, I remember Oral in 88. That, the, the playoffs that he had was incredible. Yeah. 
Uh, let's see. He was the MVP of the NLCS and the World Series in 88. He went 3-0 and with an ERA of just barely over one. Uh, he, wow. He gave up five earned runs in like 39 innings that postseason. That's yeah. just incredible. He walked 13. He struck out 32. Wow. That's, uh, that's some good stuff for Oral Hershiser. Hershiser, I tell you what, when he when he had his best stuff, he was as good as any other pitcher I've ever seen. So his his record streak here, how many games did that encompass? Ooh, good question. 59 consecutive scoreless. It's not going to tell me, and I'm not going to do the math, but, I mean, 59 consecutive scoreless innings. That's, uh, I mean, at at bare minimum, it's, it's almost six games. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I, his frat brothers played a joke on him on draft day. <laughs> One of them called him pretending to be from the Padres and told him he was going to be drafted in the first round. <laughs> oh, that is not a funny joke. No, that is really not. <laughs> but you know what? I think he got over it. Yeah, this is true. Apparently, he went on to become a professional poker player after he retired. Wow. As a poker player, he has made a tradition of giving autographed baseballs to the player who eliminates him. Nice. That seems kind of egotistical, no? All right, you beat me. <laughs> you, like, flip him a, a ball with your with your signature on it? I don't know. To me, it's like, hey, congratulations, you knocked me out. And here's a here's something to remember. But I mean, if they, wanna, if they ask you for it, sure. But it's pretty presumptuous to... <laughs> I would be happy with it. I'm just saying. <laughs> All right. Your next card, you've got a Hall of Famer. I think you're going to get out of the uh, the negative here. It is a shortstop for the Baltimore Orioles. It is Cal Ripken. If you were going to say a shortstop from the Orioles in 1990, I was going to, it was going to be one of my top three guesses that it was Cal Ripken Jr. Well, you're, you're in luck here. I mean, besides being a, a Hall of Famer, he also has eye black and real stirrups. You got that going for it. He was an all-star. Believe it or not, he played in every game this year. Wow. Yeah, I know. Shocker. 21 home runs, 84 RBI, a 250 average, 341 on base, a 114 OPS plus. He got a couple of MVP votes and ended up with a 7.5 war. Wow. He's a Hall of Famer. So that'll be an 8.5 plus the eye black and the stirrups will be 8.7. Very nice. That is uh, very nice indeed. Let's see, for his career, 95.9 war. Wow. Uh, Well-deserved, obviously Hall of Famer, won a World Series in 1983 with uh, one one guess what team he was uh, playing for when uh, when he won the World Series. Yes, there you go. He went on to to, to play in Japan after his... uh, after his major league career. All right, that'll be get to 7.3. Next, you have got a Mariner. One of my favorite Mariner pitchers of all time. He was a closer. He was not good. Well, I mean, he was good for a while, but I mean, he had a really bad stretch. It's Mike Schooler. Uh, Schooler. Mike Schooler of Fish. Sure. Mike Schooler Bus. Mike Schooler of Hard Knocks. I'm going to stop. I'm running out. Let's see. Uh, you know, Google puts his picture right next to Nolan Ryan when I Google that. that. There's something wrong with that. Interesting. Yeah. Let's see. Schooler pitched for six years in the big leagues, five with the Mariners, one with Texas. Now, good news for you. Two of his last three seasons were with the Mariners. So you got that going go. for you. Right Overall, on. a 15 and nine career mark with uh, 98 career saves. In 1990, he went one and four, 2.25 ERA. 
pretty good. 30 saves, 56 innings pitched, 45 strikeouts, a 175 ERA plus. So you might wow. like this. That's good for a war of 1.3. Uh, plus you get the two tenths for the last two seasons with the Mariners. That'll be a 1.5. I was not expecting that out of Schooler. Plus he is on the Mariners, who is your team. So you will also oh. get a half a point for that. 9.3. Wow. Uh, it's your total, not what he right. but he garnered you. <laughs> It'd be amazing if, if Mike Schooler had a 9.3 war year. Yeah, he is. Uh, let's let's see. I just left it there. But his career war, his career war was 3.9. So he, he we're not going to, it was never going to be a big, uh, a big score for you there. But that's better than I would have thought. Agreed. Here's the the Mike Schooler I remember. In 1992, he allowed seven home runs, all of which tied the game or put the opposition in the lead. <laughs> I swear I remember that. And, and I, 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 I always thought I'm, my mind is exaggerating it. It can't be that many, but apparently it was. I was thinking the same thing when I'm here making fun of him and then I'm looking at his numbers. But yeah, I, I remember in particular he gave up a grand slam at one point coming in for the save opportunity. I mean, he just yeah. was... Not good that year. All right. right. Next, you have got a Chicago White Sox, a pitcher. I remember this guy. I I think he was a little bit, a little strange, or he had a bad temper. One of the two, I don't remember. It's Melito Perez. Always had, uh, you know, some nice uh, Jerry Curl going on. That's right. He had the great Juan Samuel kind of hair. Yeah, going. he really did. He had the, uh, this, the soul glow. At all times, it looks very go. nice. Let's see, nine years in the big leagues, four with the Yankees, four with the White Sox, one with the Royals. I think I, I remember he really did not. Yeah, he didn't do well, and he did not thrive as a Yankee, and I think George Steinbrenner did not care for him. Uh, let's see, in 1990, though, with the White Sox, he went 13-14 and 14 with a 4.61 ERA, had three complete game shutouts, that's not bad, and ended up with an 83 ERA+. Plus. And that is a war of minus 0.3. Uh, he does definitely have some real stirrups going on here. And, and I can really appreciate this. His pants are like midway up his, his shin. He has got like maybe just a couple of inches of sanitary and then the solid up the rest of the way. So, you know, he's obviously wearing real stirrups, but it's a, it's right. a good look there. Nice. So he threw a no-hitter in 1990 against the Yankees in a rain-shortened seven-inning game, so it no longer counts as a no-hitter. Right. But he did get one. He was also the uh, the pitcher against the Yankees when Andy, when Andy Hawkins no-hit the White Sox, but lost. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Oh, this is, this is interesting. He gave up Manny Ramirez's first career home run. Oh, wow. Wow. I think he's the only one that can say that. I believe so. <laughs> I'm not sure. How many people gave up the first career home run for Manny? Let's by take by a look. show of hands. All right. Yeah. All right. Your next card, you're at 9.1. Uh, your next card is catcher for the Rangers. It is Mike Stanley. Mike Stanley. I d- he, he, he likes to help you do things right. <laughs> Man, who's going to get that one? A few well, people you might did. get that one. You did. And, I did. Uh, Mike Stanley, 15 years in the big leagues. His last season was with the A's. I don't remember that at all in 2000. Uh, 15 years, six years with the Rangers, five with the Yankees, five with the Red Sox, and then Oakland and Toronto. Let's see. In 1990, he caught. Uh, he appeared in 103 games, hit 249, two home runs, 19 RBI, a 93 OPS plus, and a war of 0. .4. Okay. Uh, he does have a mustache. 
So uh, we'll give you that. That'll be a point five. That's not bad for for Mike Stanley. I think that's no, no. I had uh, lower expectations. Yeah, he's he is one of those catchers when catchers were just meant to handle the pitching staff and block balls. He also caught Nolan Ryan's final career no hitter in 1991, nice. and we all know what day that was because that's the same day that Ricky Henderson set the uh, all time career stolen base mark. That'd be May 1st. One amazing day, yes. Yes. All right, so you're at 9.6. You you got a card here of a rated rookie card. This is a pretty famous rated rookie. It is, uh, I believe he likes to wrestle alligators as a hobby. Big Ben? Yeah, Big Ben McDonald, that's right, for the Orioles. This guy would be a great interview. We got to find, we got to find Ben McDonald. He's got a lot to say, I bet. I'll bet he's in Louisiana somewhere. I'm sure he is. He might be wrestling alligators. We don't know. Let's see. Uh, nine years in the big leagues, uh, seven with Baltimore, and then two final years with Milwaukee. In 1990, it was his first full year in the big leagues. He went eight and five with a 2.43 ERA. That's good. Three complete games, two shutouts, 118 two-thirds innings pitched, only 88 hits, and he struck out 65. Did Not a big strikeout guy early. But, boy, he did not give up hits. That is good no. for a 157 ERA+. plus. This was the best year of his career. Came in eighth in Rookie of the Year balloting. And that is good for a 3.3 war. I'll take it. Yeah, nothing else on this card is going to help you with anything. Uh, lifetime 78 and 70 mark with a 3.91 ERA and a career 20.8 war. Not too shabby. All right, your next card, uh, unfortunately for you, is a Diamond Kings checklist. Oh, great. That's a shame. I hate it. Don't I get every single player on there? If you want this podcast to be two hours long on this card, sure, but I don't. And here, just let's pass it. By the way, just Ben McDonald, I just pulled up his Twitter here. I think he's still doing some work for the Orioles on TV. Not sure, but there are a lot of videos and pictures of him in camouflage and, and so forth. So. Um, I'm not sure if he obviously one, uh, overall pick in 89. Yeah. Remember that. All right. Uh, so you got two cards left. Uh, I'm going to give you a, a extra point here, uh, because he's one of your best friends. <laughs> he's a catcher. <laughs> he's a catcher for the twins in this card. Yes. Yes. Oh, I, you already said it. I, t- the great Brian David Harper. I, I heard you say a name, but it did not register. That's right, Brian Harper. <laughs> and I'm really just giving you two tenths of a point because of the mustache. It's a good oh, yeah. lip It's brush. a beauty. Yeah. yeah. Nice and thick and full. He probably has to condition it. Uh, let's see. Brian Harper, 16 years in the big leagues, six with the Twins, three with the Bucks. Played with a bunch of other teams uh, off and on. In 1990, as a 30-year-old with the Twins, he played 134 games. He hit 294. 295 lifetime average. Always had a good good bat for a catcher. Always. Did not take a lot of pitches. Uh, no, only walked six, uh, 19 times. But he only struck out 27 times. Right, His yep. single season high of striking out was 1993 when he struck out. He played 147 games, 573 plate appearances. He struck out 29 times. He walked 29 times as well. Yeah. (laughs) He hit 304. His on base was 347. Ah, That's, that's, that's really impressive. Uh, In 1996 home runs, five RBI, a 328 on base and a 107 OPS plus. And that equals a 2.8 war. Uh, he's got the two-tenths mustache, and he's got real stirrups. So that will be a 3.1 for you. 
And thank you, Brian. Uh, member of the 1991 World Series team as well. There? Yep. Uh, do you know his middle name? I'll give you an extra tenth of a point if you know his middle name without looking. It, it's David. Oh, damn it. I didn't think, you, I didn't think you'd know that. <laughs> you answered too quickly. I, I knew I, you have to be telling me the truth. All right, so you're at 16.1. You're at your final card, and I'm a little bit, a little bit worried. It is, it's a member of the Oakland A's. It's not Ricky Henderson. I'm thinking maybe in 1990, though, he was hurt a lot. I'm hoping it is. It is uh, none other than Mr. Madonna. It's uh, Jose Canseco. <laughs> I probably had, those are the, the cards with the red border, right? Yes. I probably had four or five dozen Jose Canseco's, you know, because I used to collect any Jose Canseco card. Well, he uh, was not hurt a whole lot. He played 131 games this year, hit 37 home runs, 101 RBI, 19 stolen bases, uh, 274 average, 371 on base, 543 slugging for a 159 OPS plus. He was an all-star this year. He did get MVP votes as well, and that'll be a 5.4. Wow. Uh, nothing on this card is going to help you out, but uh, he was an all-star, so that'll be a 5.9. Uh, this is a good-looking card, though. It's in spring training. He's got on the gold pullover jersey, which is just a sharp-looking jersey. Uh, I like that. Nice. Uh, all right, we're not going to talk about Jose Canseco off the field, uh, but your final total is a even 22. Okay. Okay. That's that could win. Yeah, well, the way I've gone the last couple of weeks, it's uh, you're, you, it's a pretty strong number. <laughs> All right. So uh, I am going to I'm going to follow you there. I'm going to take the top six off and hope that I don't come across anybody that's too good. Let's here see. Here comes six straight Hall of Famers right here. Well, maybe five because Jose De Leon is the first. <laughs> uh, Boomer David Wells the second. Dutch Darren Dalton. All-star Ruben Sierra, Frank Williams of the Tigers, and uh, Kevin Elster with flip-ups and uh, stirrups. So, I don't know. Some of those could hurt. I'm not, yeah. not thrilled with that. But, all right. So, I got to beat 22. Uh, my first card is uh, Yankee postseason uh, favorite Randy Velarde. Oh, sure. Velarde, whoa. Yeah. Uh, I think that's Lolly, isn't it? In, in Velarde? I guess I could see it. Okay, I'll, I'll allow it. Uh, let's see. Randy Velarde, 16 years in the big leagues. 10 with the Yankees. 4 with the Angels. 3 with Oakland. None with Seattle. Also had played one year in uh, Texas. 1990 with the Yankees. He appeared in 95 games. Only hit 210. 5 home runs. And 19 RBI. No stolen bases, but was caught 3 times. That's same from the prior year. I'm going to just assume those were broken hit and runs because yeah. uh, he obviously no speed, although he's still 24 in 1999. Uh, let's see a 66 OPS plus, And I am going to start off. Oh, he still had a 1.4 war. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. Uh, also he has real stirrups. So that's actually a 1.5, which uh, I was expecting it to be a minus 1.5 to begin with. Something interesting about Velarde, his 1000th major league hit was a walk off home run, which is kind of cool. Now, I'm wondering, did he get the ball back? Yeah, that I don't know. Well, uh, here's a little tie-in for, for Ricky Henderson. He was playing third base for the Yankees when Ricky slid in on that May 1st game, again, that we talked about earlier, when he broke uh, Lou Brock's all-time stolen base mark. Up close and personal for some history. Well, I hope he got that thousand, thousandth hit because he only had 1,171 career hits. So that would have been a huge mark for him. 
Yes. All right. So I started off uh, strong, at least. Next, I've got pitcher for the Cardinals, a lefty Frank DePino. I believe he was an Astro at some point. He was for five years. Uh, 12 years in the big leagues, five with Houston, three with St. Louis, three with the Cubs, one apiece for Kansas City and Milwaukee. In 1990, it was his final year with St. Louis. He went five and two with 4.56 ERA, 81 innings pitched, 92 hits allowed, an 84 ERA plus, and a minus 0.7 war. Ouch. I'm having a hard time. Those sure look like two and ones to me. So when it rains, it pours. That is a minus 0.8. That'll have my score, Mr. DePino. When he was traded to the Astros, uh, he went with Kevin Bass to the Astros. Oh, nice. And was traded. Uh, uh, let's see. Uh, apparently, the Astros set Don Sutton as a player to be named later. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Something interesting about DePino. Tony Gwynn was only one for 20 career against him. So he hit 0.050 with uh, three walks. So, you know, you, you, you never know. We've talked about this before. A pitcher who completely dominates a, a great hitter or an average hitter who just absolutely shell a, a, a great pitcher. This is this looks like one of those. So that one guy that he couldn't get out. Yep. Well, he and, and, and Vance Law, of course, Tony Gwynn couldn't hit right. Vance Law either. All right, so I'm at uh, point seven. Uh, my next card is a first baseman for the Brewers, who I do not remember this guy at all. George Canal, C-A-N-A-L-E. Canale, Canale, I believe. I'm not going to sing his last name. Canale, whoa. <laughs> Very nice. Let's see, George, uh, there's no pronunciation. On this, come on, baseball reference. Uh, let's see, three years in the big leagues, all with Milwaukee, only 44 games total. In 1990, he only appeared in 10, where he hit a robust 077. Nice. With uh, one double, caught stealing with no stolen bases, and an OPS plus of one, <laughs> <laughs> and a war of minus 0.2. Ouch. Nothing on this card is going to help me out. What's happening here? Something happened in here. What it is is not exactly clear. No, no. I But I believe Canale played a little bit in the KBO for some reason. Let's see. He played in the KBO, the Mexican League, and the Taiwanese League. Oh, wow. As well. So, yeah, once he, once he got cut from uh, the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates organization, he went to uh, Taiwan, then Mexico, and then Korea. And was a uh, career or in college. He was a Hokie. All right, next we have got a uh, the DH for the uh, Angels. We talk about this guy quite often, Brian Downing. Brian 10 Downing Street. Brian First Downing. First Downing, very nice. Let's see, Brian Downing. Uh, we talk about him because for such a, he was, well, I guess he wasn't really a huge individual to start off with, but he got into weight training very early before it was uh, popular and became pretty big. He's nicknamed the Incredible Hulk, but he walked and he walked a lot. Led the league in 87 with 106 walks. Wow. Let's see. In 1990, it was his final year with the Angels. He appeared in 96 games, 273 average, 14 home runs, 51 RBI, and a 138 OPS plus. And all of that will equal a war of 2.1. Ah, shoot. No glasses in this picture. He used to wear glasses. Yeah, he did. Big, big, giant glasses, yeah, I the, believe. The old science teacher glasses. But mm -hmm. Not in this. He moved on i'm guessing he's wearing contacts 
Yeah, he was a walking machine. They used to hit him lead off, even though he couldn't steal any bases. We talked about that he was uh, in an episode of the Jeffersons. Right. When George Jefferson drops a ball and a home run ball in the outfield in the stands and Wheezy sneaks in and talks to him and Reggie, Reggie Jackson. Right. But yeah, I got to I got to find that. Yeah, we got to find that. So did appear on the Jeffersons, did not appear on Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Just next card. uh, I'm at 2.6 and just treading water at this point. Next shortstop for the Astros, Eric Yelding. I, I collected some of those cards in high hopes for, you know, an Astros superstar. Oh, no, I thought he had a longer career. Five years in the big leagues, uh, four with Houston, and then a final year with the Cubs. You know, this is just looking great for me. In, uh, in 1990, 142 games, led the league in caught stealing. He did steal 64, but he was caught 25 Ooh. times. 64 uh, is a lot, though. Yeah, but... 25, that's almost half. 25 is a lot. Yeah. yeah. Hit 254, on base 305, a 16, well, a 69 OPS plus, which was his career high. And that will equal a 0.1 war. Uh, he does have a teenage mustache on here, too. So it'll at least be a 0.2. Uh, a wisp, a wisp a of a mustache. Wisp, like he might deal a little weed on the side <laughs> out of his van. <laughs> that kind of mustache. All right, let's see. I'm at 2.8, and I have got a pitcher for the Tigers. He was uh, He's on the Tigers because he was traded for John Smoltz. It's Doyle Alexander. Now, there's a guy with a long career. Yeah, he. Well, <laughs> i got to really use the scroll wheel here. 19 years in the big leagues. Uh, let's see. He played for a lot of teams, which is not surprising. Unfortunately, though, the last time that he played for a team was 1989. But oh, well. I mean, he also led the league in uh, in losses and home runs given up that year. So I think he probably called it just in time. But you know, it's funny because yeah. in '88, just the year prior, he was an All Star and went 14 and 11. Weird. Yeah, he had a let's see, a career 194 and 174 record. That was, was his a, uh, one All Star appearance. Yeah, he was the kind of guy who was 200 plus innings every year, and he would just gut out. He would gut out the game. He was always gutting out a win somehow, some way. So uh, apparently when he was uh, with the Blue Jays, he was renegotiating a contract. He wanted to make sure that in the contract he was allowed to go hunting. And the Blue Jays said, no, let's not do that. Eventually, his agent worked out a compromise in which Alexander would only collect money if hurt while hunting, only if he was following all hunting regulations and wearing an orange hunting jacket. How would you ever prove that? Wow, maybe they sent a chaperone out with him when he was I, hunting. Well, as long as that chaperone isn't Dick Cheney, ooh, because then I think he's. I think Toronto might be paying him. Yeah, this is this is true. You got to put a, a little drum rim shot in there when you say that. All right, I am at two point eight, and I have four cards left. I mean, I have just this is the epitome of an average pack. Uh, next, I boy, I should have chosen the Astros. Here he is. He's got some real stirrups on. Mark Portugal. Oh, yeah. Who I think we determined uh, earlier has the most wins of a uh, major league pitcher named after a country. That's right. Uh, more than uh, Mike more, Bolivia. Yeah. Mike Bolivia. Good old Mike Bolivia. Boy, he was something, wasn't he? But uh, Mark Portugal with 109 wins overall in his career. 1990, uh, he got 11 of them. 
uh, along with 10 losses, a 3.62 ERA. That's pretty good. 196 and two-thirds innings, 187 hits given up, 136 strikeouts, 103 ERA+. Plus, and that will equal a war of 2.6, plus the stirrups will be a 2.7, which just about doubles my score. <laughs> Ouch. I remember him being a pretty darn good pitcher for the Astros. Oh, wow. He was traded by the Giants with Dave Burba to the Reds for, amongst others, Deion Sanders and the manager of your Seattle Mariners, Scott Service. Interesting. All right. So I've got three cards left. I'm at 5.5. I have got a Diamond Kings card. Now, I think this is kind of late in his career to help me. And I don't even think at the prime of his career is war was that great uh here with the dodgers not a team i think of willie randolph of uh, being on but here it is yeah willie randolph is a yankee and an athletic in my mind but uh, that's the way my mind works 18 years in the big leagues 13 with the yankees the dodgers were his second longest tenure team with two seasons and then a bunch of other teams with uh, with one uh let's see 1990 uh, he split time between the Dodgers and the A's. Came over. Trying to, I'll have to look and see who he came over with the deadline. That was when the A's every year would come up with some big names at that trade deadline. Uh, 1990, though, he hit 260. Uh, never had double digits in home runs. He had two home runs this year, 30 RBI, seven stolen bases, and a 90 OPS+. plus. All of that will equal a war of 2.9. Very nice. Uh, he does have a mustache and stirrup, so that'll be a 3.1. I think that's my highest war of this pack. Uh, I wanted to look at his career war. It looks like his career high in war was 6.6 in 88, where he was an all-star. So that's, that is that is a lot higher. I was thinking he might top out at 5. He, he walked a lot. Uh, career 373 on base percentage. Wow, so I was thinking for in, in, uh, in 90, he came over with somebody else. I'm thinking, why are you trading for, for Willie Randolph when you're the best team in baseball in the regular season? No, it was a straight-up deal for Stan Javier. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's uh, a little shocking. Stan Javier, who played his last games for the Mariners, so uh, I think that means I get points. I don't think you need them, sir. Oh, okay. It's another weird rule that I just made up on the spot. All right, I'm down to my final two cards. Well, I got an All-Star. All right, I got an All-Star. I got a Hall of Famer. There you go. Thankfully. And I got a Hall of Famer that is wearing a batting helmet with uh, no flaps on it. Very nice. And real stirrups. And he's got a beard and a mustache because he is a wizard. You had a, yes. you had a Hall of Fame shortstop, so do I. It's, it's Ozzy. Very nice. All right, let's see. Ozzy, 19 years in the big leagues. Obviously, he came up with the Padres, but uh, 15 of his 19 years with the Cardinals. An all-star, just it's just every year, just about a 15-time all-star, member yeah. of the 82 World Series team, 13 gold gloves. Wow. That is just uh, impressive. Let's see. But he was an all-star even in his final year. In 96, age 41, he was an all-star. In 1990, he was 35, still played in 143 games, 254 average, one home run, which is about his season average, yeah. 50 RBI, 32 stolen bases. He had 580 career stolen bases. That's that's a wow. 
healthy number right there. That's a chunk, yeah. Yeah, 300, uh, 300, 330 on base and a 77 OPS. That doesn't, or an OPS plus, that doesn't matter though because the defense is going to factor in here. He was an all-star and he did win, obviously, a gold glove this year. So there's a whole point of war to go along with this Hall of Fame and all the other stuff going on in this card. Uh, let's see, in 1990, that is good for a war of 3.6. Nice. He's a Hall of Famer, so that's 4.6. The awards make it a 5.6. The real stirrups, the flapless helmet, and the mustache make that a 5.9. Very nice. So uh, that will take me up to 14.5. I fear it's too little too late with just one card left. You need home run Baker. Yeah. So uh, obviously Ozzie Smith appeared uh, in the seminal Simpsons episode, Homer at the Bat, where he gets lost in the, where does he get lost in a maze or a cave or something? Just couldn't, he couldn't help being a tourist. Uh, Went on to also be a host of This Week in Baseball. Got to remember oh, yeah. that. Oh, so in 2012, Ozzy made headlines. He sold all his gold gloves at auction. Wow. Netted about half a million for them. All right, so I'm at 14.5. My final card. Now, I need what? Uh, I need essentially seven and a half points here, which is it's doable. I mean, Ozzy got me that almost. Yeah. No, he didn't, but close. Uh, but I am not sure... The pitcher for the Rangers, Gilly Milky, Gary Milky, is going to do that. Well, probably not. M-I-E-L-K-E. Never heard of him. Yeah, not familiar to me either. Let's see. I'm, I'm hoping this guy played in 1988, because if so, I'm going to request that the uh, 88 Tops podcast does an episode on, on Gary Milky. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dang it. He played in 87 and then oh. 89, but he might have had a card in that 88, so I'm going to have to look that up. Oh, good. He did play a 90, though. Uh, he went 0-3 with a 3.73 ERA. Uh, he still had a 106 ERA plus. That's, uh, you know, something. And actually ended up with a positive, a 0.5 war, and he's got a mustache. So that'll be a 0.6. That'll take me to 15.1. And, you know, I got cocky because I won a couple and took a lead, and uh, we're now tied at 7. Ooh, it's a barn burner. Yeah, that's uh, that's not not cool. Now, this is how does Gary Milky have a uh, a saber bio and a long save? Oh, my goodness. Uh, stay tuned next week when uh, our topic will be uh, Gary Milky. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I have a lot read to this. say about him. Yeah, I'm going to read this. though. I want to know how he's got a saber bio, let alone this long. All right, that'll do it. Uh, I have lost again. Uh, the score is now tied at seven apiece. Uh, that is also going to do it for this uh, version of Wax Packs Heroes. And let's start to wrap up the show. If you want to get a hold of us at any time during the week, want to uh, check out our social medias, we can be found at Two Strike Noise. Anywhere there is social media except for uh, OnlyFans, you can just type in uh, Two Strike Noise. We'll be there. We also have a uh, email address that Mark uh, is in charge of. Sure, write us at, uh, what is it again? Oh, yeah, Two Strike Noise, spell it out, T-W-O Strike Noise at gmail.com. Just a heads up, next week we've got a very special Tales from the Dugout. And you're saying, what, you just did one last week. Well, you're going to have to be be with us next week. We've got a very special uh, Tales from the Dugout coming your way. So, all right, 
Uh, this was fun. We'll do it again next week. We'll see you all on the next episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day. 